You might remember that we had that um, industry survey end of last year and we asked um, the respondents was the most difficult or the most challenging part of digital transformation. There are a number of options and the one that came on top was actually cultural change. Yeah. So it looks like yeah, you can change your process and you can change the technology, but how people work is probably the hardest part. Yeah, and those survey re results are still available on telecoms.com, aren't they? It is, yes. Yeah, you need to download. Yeah. Please, do it. Hello and welcome to another telecoms.com podcast, once more done on the fly from our little breakout area in our new building, because we haven't got any studio yet, but we might check out meeting rooms in a bit. Um, me and Ray have been out of town in Nice, which wasn't, half the time the weather wasn't much nicer than this actually, I feel a bit ripped off. And the reason we were in Nice, actually I've done, done all my, uh, <laughs> I've gotten done all my other stuff, have I? Uh, if you're watching it on Facebook and YouTube and the other site, oh, I'm out of practice, then you can also listen to it on SoundCloud or iTunes or countless other aggregators. And I'm joined by Ray and I'm joined by Way. Thank you. And they have similar sounding names, but other than that, they're quite yeah, distinct. We look quite <laughs> like each other. Yeah, we're twins. We're always mistaking <laughs> you for each other. That's fine. Um, so yes, as I was about to just go and witter on about, Ray and I have been in Nice at an event called Digital Transformation World, which is run by an organisation called TM Forum. You've been going to sort of derivations of that event for longer than perhaps you'd be cared to admit in the public domain. Almost since the last millennium. Yes, right, well there we go. Millennium. Um, I will start off just by giving my sort of top line impressions of the show and then uh, get you to agree or rebut as you see fit. I'll rebut. Yes, I'm sure you will. I, I expect you to. So uh, they only renamed it Digital Transformation World, uh, the last one. So this is the second time it's been that. And I think that was in response. It's traditionally um, to do with, uh, I suppose, some of the bits of software that make telecoms run, like BSS. It used OSS. to be called the Telemanagement Forum. Yeah. Yeah. There we go. The T what, and and telemanagement yeah. is like a precursor to what, BSS, OSS type of stuff? Yeah. Right, okay. So basically software that makes telecoms work. Yeah. Um, and I guess it's been such a predominant theme of how telecoms work and how they need to change the way they work that they've decided that digital transformation, which is the broad buzzword that we use to describe that, um, should be the, the overarching theme of the event. Now, for me, I find what I find most interesting in digital transformation, like you, Ray, you've forgotten more than I'll ever know about the more uh, the plumbing of telecoms. I don't claim to be an expert on that or even necessarily aspire to be one. But uh, I find the cultural side of digital transformation interesting. I, you've got these you know, telecoms companies almost by definition are huge because the barriers to entry are so high. They also, to some extent, operate like utilities because they're just offering a very commoditized, undifferentiated service in principle, Basically, which, yeah. is, which, is, uh, which is connectivity. Mm. Um, and so for them to change the way they're doing, I think, is a massive cultural challenge. Uh, and this gets and this gets covered a fair bit. And the the cliche is that they've got to change themselves from operating like these big stodgy sort of super tanky utilities into something more akin to a sort of Silicon Valley startup, where they can fail fast and they can <coughs> innovate quicker and all that sort of thing. Are you just going to say something? I would say to maybe adopt some of the practices of a startup, but to behave more like the other super tankers, which are the big web scale companies like Amazon, 
Yeah, I see. Which yeah. also adopt the, these kind of you know, uh, you know, iterative development processes, agile DevOps, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. You might remember that we had that um, industry survey end of last year, and we asked um, the respondents was the most difficult or the most challenging part of digital transformation. There were a number of options, and the one that came on top was actually cultural change. Yeah. So it looks like yeah, you can change your process and you can change the technology, but how people work is probably the hardest part. So yeah, right. and those survey re results are still available on telecoms.com, <laughs> aren't they? It is, yes. <laughs> they are, for you to download. <laughs> Please, do it. Uh, have, you, have we got something else coming up in that area? Or have I just gone mad? Uh, no, we've just recently, Both. yeah, we, right. we, we did, we just done another survey, and that's around uh, 5G. Okay. We also asked people about the, 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 the telecoms professionals, how they see the transformation. They're right. actually quite consistent. People see the internal change being the being the hardest part. Okay, well, so seeing yeah. as seeing as you in, in your capacity as intelligence content manager have looked into this deeply, um, well, we can relax now. Yeah, we can over to you, Wei. Well volunteered. Um, are there any? Can you remember any sort of specific aspects of, of culture? Any um, sort of more details about why there's this cultural inertia? Um, yeah. Well. To start with, is just these companies, uh, just as you said, they came from um, practically a utilities background and um, state-owned. State, exactly, yeah. especially in Europe and and part of Asia. So the telcos were, were the big sort of telecom operators in the past that owned by the states. So that 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 corporate inertia is always there. People may be different. Um, generations of new employees have come in. Um, but it's just a way of doing things and and the processes, and they are they are still there. Yeah. So that's um, that's probably the, the the corporate culture part. That's the difficult. Yeah. That's the most difficult. Legacy thing. mindset and process yeah. is still in place, but the cash cow that used to come from voice has disappeared. Yeah, that's disappearing. So yeah. yeah. They just have well, kept in track. No, as you say, that is the that is a, an absolutely yeah. crucial part of any business transformation. When I was chatting to people at the event. I thought of Microsoft, which is an absolutely massive company, but in the past decade has very successfully moved, transformed itself from being a sort of box software. Pivoted. They pivoted, oh yes. In fact, when I was chatting to a guy from Accenture, and apparently their CEO has just written a book called Pivoting to the Future, and I remarked at the time, that sounds like the sort of book the Accenture CEO would write. Swivel on my strategy, you should call it. <laughs> Swivel on this. Anyway, don't get me started, Ray. You know, I'll get myself into trouble. Um, so yes, all this. So they've successfully pivoted, um, and now they are much more sort of cloud-based uh, and all that sort of thing. Whereas they made all their money back in the eighties from selling box software or from pre-installing Windows on on desktop PCs and all that sort of thing. So there's a good example of it. But as you say, when it, when the cash cow dries up, and the funny thing is, actually, this is, this is another interesting one. The direct. Um, relevance to you as someone who used to work at Nokia and we've chatted about this. I remember writing about Nokia when it was quite clear that the cash cow from handsets was drying up with the advent, this is about 10 or so years ago, with the advent of um, the iPhone and of Android, that Nokia had a massive dominance in that area and, and then it suddenly, they had to transition or they could of course have innovated in such a way that they remained a market leader but that's obviously not what happened. 
And so I think that led to, you know, I'm, I'm not looking for you to throw any former colleagues under the bus, so, no. but I think that led to a fairly major sort of cultural crisis within Nokia. Yes, I think this uh, again is is the corporate inertia, uh, corporate inertia thing that that's difficult to go. Mm. It's not that people didn't want to change. It's yeah. just um, they've been doing things like that for for so many years, and it's just just difficult. And especially when if the change is happening very fast, and you still have the old people who were running things in the old way, yeah. and you suddenly need to meet the challenges of a new market. That's very difficult. And you don't remember we we all hail Microsoft as a success case now, but don't forget it takes them years yeah. to finish that. Uh, they, they were pretty much in the trial for quite a few years, yeah. Yeah. and it only happened very late. There's a change of leadership that uh, yeah, I was, was going to say, that that was yeah, the catalyst. Yeah. And that took some degree of honesty on the part of people like Bill Gates and Steve Barmer, which presumably remain big sort of holders of Microsoft stock. Yeah. Barmer basically had to hold his hand up and go, do you know what, I don't, don't think I'm the man for this job. Which takes some strength of personality, or maybe just got bored and wanted to go and sit on a beach. Well, he he must have realised that things were not really moving yeah. the way that he would have liked. So. But the but the corporate the corporate ego typically, you know, a, a high flying exec, is not, would normally be the last person to admit that maybe sorry, it's they weren't up. kicking yeah. ass. Yeah, exactly. So so that can be an issue as well. So yeah, I, f I find all that interesting. And then what I wrote on it. Um, before I hand over to you, Ray, I wrote a sort of more upbeat piece just, just from chatting to people, getting the impression that maybe this cultural change is underway, is actually happening. So it's been a, a rolling cliche. Every year they go, you've got to transform, you've got to get more agile, you've got to do this, and then you come back the next year and it's almost exactly the same narrative. Um, and just anecdotally from chatting to a few people, I got some signs that, that they think that they finally got the memo. I suppose maybe it's the arrival of 5G and the fact that if you're going to, so that was another thing I wrote, that actually monetizing 5G in terms of a pure form of connectivity, that's a sort of diminishing return. The, the amount of money you get per unit of data served up is shrinking, such that you can extrapolate it to a point where you won't make, where you make hardly any money, certainly on a consumer basis. So then, being the provider of that data is just a platform for, from which you can sell digital products and services on top. Um, and maybe the advent of 5G is something that's 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 creating a, a greater sense of urgency and all that, I speculated. But I know I, I had a little look at piece Ian wrote, who was out there as well, but now is at home because he's broken by the whole thing, And uh, which which I presume you must have had a look at, hopefully, otherwise it's going to be an embarrassing segue. Um, and he was a bit more downbeat on it. He was a bit more sceptical, wasn't he? Why don't you tell us a bit more? Yeah, well, I mean, it's... Uh, you know, there's two sides to every coin, and I think, um, yes, there is still a lot of the same narrative, and there are a number, that there have been some drivers for, for quite a few years, and, you know, a lot of the same topics are talked about year after year. We have to get better at customer, customer experience, right, we tick that box, let's move on. Um, but now, of course, all of the traditional telcos, especially the last ones, are in a real fix, because they're in general, their costs are going up, their profits are either flat or going down, uh, sorry, revenues are either flat or going down. Um, they are investing for 5G, but to make any money out of 5G, they, they have to do things differently yeah. because it's 
for, for lots of different reasons which we've, we've covered on the sites. So I think it, it's, they have reached that point where some of them at least realise that if they don't actually do something right now, then they might be stacking shelves in a supermarket yeah. in a couple of years' time. And I think there's, there is evidence of some change. Uh, you know, in the past, oh yes, we are changing, we, we've implemented this, blah, blah, blah. But there was hardly any ever evidence. So I think um, seeing what Telstra is doing, for example, is pretty interesting. You know, they, they have a plan, they announced it last year, Telstra 2022 or T22. And they are updating the metrics on on the the, the, the KPIs that they set out at the time uh, about reducing the number of services they're offering. I mean, and some unbelievable stats. I think, if I remember rightly, they're cutting the they they have more than a thousand different plans, consumer plans for right, their services, it's just absurd. and they're cutting that to twenty. Mm. Uh, that's that's really dramatic. And they've said they're going to do it, and they're tracking it. So they really. Have to do it, or they'll yeah. get sacked and go, or go out of business, or both. So um, I think we're getting to the point now where not only are is there talk about it, but companies are starting to actually say, and here's the plan, here are the metrics, and we are going to track this and do this by eating our do own dog food. We're not, not not only going to talk about continuous um, uh, development and agile and so forth. We're going to adopt that in the way we do this process and cultural transformation um, but of course that also you know and it's almost the, the the elephant in the room is that all of this involves job cuts as well yeah. that's that's a big part of it and and but Telstra you know said right up front it was going to be thousands of job cuts I think they, they said eight now it's, they're saying roughly about ten they have to hire a few more people yeah uh, this is a net people. of about eight and a half wasn't yeah it? yeah so, um, you know, that, that's an example of, of where that has started. But without 5G, I mean, every country is different because you have different regulations, a different number of, uh, of, of rivals, etc. But in, in every country, you know, 5G is a thing. In every country, the impact of the Amazons, Googles, Netflixes, Microsofts, Alibabas, etc., those are all having an impact on these companies and they know that they do need to do things differently and they need to organize their technology platforms in a different way, which is why they're talking now about platforms instead of networks. Yeah. You know, developing a, a what, what is a network and their IT systems all integrated so that they can be very quick to launch a new service, even if that service is, is developed by a third party. Yeah. So that's all very well, that's all very great, but I do notice that there's still the, one of the failures of the telecom sector over the decades is that they feel the need to do everything themselves or do the main things themselves. And my question, which I'm going to be posing on light reading, is if you're going to have a, 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 a platform that you're going to build your business on in the future, do you need to build it yourself? Yeah. Um, because that's what they're trying to do now, and it's going to take years. They don't know quite how to do it. Um, you know, it's a big, big learning curve. Meanwhile, the platforms, a lot of the stuff is already out there. You can do an awful lot on AWS. And I think some, some of the operators, just last point um, yeah. before I run out of breath, and no, you not run at out of patience, <laughs> is that some of the operators are starting to see this. Verizon, for example, in the US, launched an entirely new business 
um, a new mobile business with a new name, different team, get it out of, away from the, you know, the, the, the inertia and the legacy processes of the main company. And they did it all uh, you know, running cloud-based uh, uh, billing and, and management systems. They've got a, a cloud-based uh, mobile core. Uh, to, to manage the subscribers and all they're doing is utilizing the physical access infrastructure and that's turning out to be uh, a very neat and very interesting it's not a project because it is a business but showing that you can do something different by using other platforms yeah. as, the, as the technology underbelly and Orange is doing the same in Spain with enterprise services so there's little examples here and there but they need to get a bloody move on yeah, I mean, big companies can can become very um, territorial. I mean, I remember in my everybody's protecting their own jobs as well. Remember that? Yeah, I mean, in the, in the olden days, um, in in the early noughties, I think, the Nokia boss called out categorically um, to to the to the internal teams that we have a very strong not invented here syndrome. Yeah. So it's just it's not not what came out of our own labs then we're not taking it and that's that's a very big problem probably in most of the big companies um, the companies have been there for, for mm. long enough and you get this collective corporate ego it's exactly. like we're the best why would yeah. we use anyone else when we're us yeah, yeah. Uh, so yeah that, that can be a thing I'm, I remember that getting back to Nokia again chatting to them about Symbian back when yeah. sort of iOS and Android were coming out um, and they were like, there's nothing wrong with Symbian. And I remember I even reviewed a Symbian phone, and there was nothing wrong with it until you then reviewed an iPhone or an yeah. Android phone, and then it was. Um, but no, that, that but was there was an inertia no, within the, the them. The problem was called out way before that. Yeah. And that, that, that gave us a revival in the early noughties, but then, um, yeah, the rest is history. Um, it's just um, interesting to me, Ray, when you said that um, the, the number of offers that Telstra was giving to the market, and that was insane. And it just reminded me of a well, I hope I've quoted the right number. <laughs> I'm pretty sure, though. But anyway, yeah, <laughs> the, your uh, phone buzzing? <laughs> the, uh, um, the, uh, Ofcom published a research not too long ago, so asking the digital consumers you know, number of questions and one of them one of the key findings was um, consumers could get really confused by the number of offers yeah, on, of the, on the table who, who isn't confused so, yeah. so, at, so at the end of the day they will either just hold on what they are subscribing to or they actually yeah. reducing what they're using because they, they were just afraid they, they got overcharged or uh, they, they land yeah. in a big bill that they yeah. didn't expect. So, And I think, you know, I mean, that sounds like a, a, a crazy number, but of course those aren't compl all completely separate and differentiated products. You know, probably that, that's you know, exactly a lot of that the would problem. be tiny yeah. little... 12 months, 18 months, 24 months. Yeah. Iterations or, yeah, yeah. But still, smaller yes. than that. No, absolutely. Yeah. It's yeah. still yeah. A, an option. Yeah. But importantly for, for the service provider, they have to manage and track all of those options themselves. They're making themselves confused. As well, yeah. So um, it, it's it, it's definitely the right way to go. You mm. know, make make yourself more efficient, make yourself more customer friendly, and just make it easier for so, everybody. So that customer friendly thing, we actually haven't got around to writing it this week, perhaps partly because everyone's been flying around. But Ofcom um, just just sort of followed through on some directive to sort of force phone companies to yeah. to basically present alert, the best possible alert, uh, customers yeah. I think 10 to 40 days before your contract before you go, and then out, let them yeah. know what the best deal is now I mean to me 
this is back where they operate like utilities, um, yeah. and, and which is why sort of sites like Compare the Market and U Switch and all that sort of mm -hmm. stuff can exist, mm -hmm. because their whole the whole utilities business model, as I perceive it, has been to make the the whole billing system, the tariff system, so opaque and confusing that you end up just going, oh, forget yeah. it, and then you just let it roll. Mm -hmm. And then you know the other problem they always a lot of these companies have is that they got offers just for for new acquisitions, yeah. so they end up treating strangers better than their own customers because they're always trying to get. New, get new, new customers, customers. Yeah. Um, and so you know, and that's a classic thing. Back, you know, back to the digital transformation thing and BSS. Presumably, that there's been a capacity within um, BSS to to improve the communication with um, subscribers about billing, as that's kind of the core of what it does. So that makes me think that it's not been a technological problem, but a cultural and a business decision to to make this stuff more user unfriendly. And I agree with you, Ray. Maybe they got away with it before, but I don't think they can anymore. Yeah, I think it's a. I think it's always been a mix. You know, you can you can pretty much do anything you want to, but you have to want to do it. Yes, well, there's a will, there's a way. Yeah. Okay. Well, there's a will, there's a way. That's a slight transition to talking about Huawei. Or <laughs> well, that, there is. You thought I was going to say, no, "Well, there's a will, no, there's no, a way," there's and point a, to you. No, there's apparently, <laughs> well, there's there is apparently a very, very strong will <laughs> on on that um, issue. So, well, yeah. there, there's a strong will for me to avoid talking about it on the podcast, but events always prevent yeah. me from doing that. And yeah, and we got we got to talk about it again because um, the big story was Donald Trump did an executive order. I'm not quite sure. I don't think we have the equivalent of an executive order here, but it's basically where the president sort of lays down the law. Um, saying that all the sort of US sort of state agencies have got to treat with deep suspicion um, any company where, that they think, and it was using like really vague terms, which I should look it up to get the term right. Yeah. But, um, to protect the country's computer system. Yeah. Like yeah. What, what was it? Let me just, um, yeah, foreign adversaries. Yes. You used the term yeah, foreign adversaries. adversaries. Yes. Now, foreign, that's pretty unambiguous, but adversary. I mean, how do they define an adversary? Now, what was unstated in the executive order, they never said the word China and they said the word Huawei, but yeah. I think it's pretty apparent to everyone that the foreign adversary was principally China, but perhaps with a bit of Russia thrown in for a laugh and maybe North Korea, not that they export any technology. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but yes, but that was a big deal. What it really did um, was sort of formalise the belligerent position they already have towards Huawei and towards China in yeah. general. But it also seemed to sort of ramp it. It almost compelled agencies to take a more sort of aggressive action yeah. than they are right now. And in parallel, um, some one of the agencies came out with a sort of list of companies that you can't do certain things with. Again, I can't remember the minutiae of it because I was too busy larking about it in the south of France. But um, but yes, so so that's a sort of double pronged thing where they basically put a big restriction on it and then Jamie just wrote a piece that they it also includes an export restriction so now there's much more restrictions on companies that Huawei can buy components and, and services and, and gear from so it's starting to almost get towards what it was like with um, ZTE, ZTE a year or so ago yeah. when but they got in trouble for the specific thing for flight flouting these um, these bans of working with Iran and that sort yeah. of thing yeah they seem to have found another way to impose an almost a sort of similar set of restrictions. Yeah, because yeah, uh, Huawei is under investigation for uh, breaking the, the, the same uh, agreements and embargo, embargoes yeah. Yeah, that, that ZTE did. But that's investigation is obviously taking too long or maybe isn't crystal clear. So this is another way of ex mm. expediting 
the process and you know it's being expedited at the same time as the, there's tension between the US and China. Yeah, so, you know, yeah and, and let's not forget let's not forget the main well it's not even it's not even as concrete as to say an allegation but the main sort of area of allegation that the US has towards Huawei is that it's got links to the Chinese state and thus spying etc so it's not even but necessarily that's, this that's embargo not, that's, not, stuff. that's not in the official indictment no so, yeah. quite so it's all a little bit vague but that's the underlying mm. thing every time they try and sort of protest their innocence as they've obviously done repeatedly yeah. ever since and have done again the, the response again not explicitly stated but the response is yeah but China's a bit dodgy, isn't it? It's basically been the sort of underlying. Well, they response. are all spying on each other. Well, quite. Yeah. Um, <laughs> there is that. If, if, if the any country is, which is not spying on others, then that, that country is not doing a good job. <laughs> yeah. So apparently, but it's just without sin. Just the whether thing. company A's technology can or might be used to as yeah. part of that program. Yeah. yeah. And that's that I mean, applies all ways, doesn't it? To the best of my knowledge, there's no ban on Cisco routers in China, for example, which would be yes. sort of, yeah, but that would be the obvious reciprocal thing to do in a like-for-like like sort of way. Yeah. Well, I, I, um, I found another, un another angle that you took quite interesting, so you probably want to share with a big audience, is how the sort of ban or um, um, quasi-ban on Huawei will have the impact on the American companies. Oh, yeah, that was, that was Jamie's piece. Yeah. yeah. Be, I'll yeah. take the credit for it, but yeah. it was Jamie. <laughs> 100%. Yeah. You know, if, if this is, is imposed and it goes into effect, uh, it's absolutely undoubted that US jobs will be impacted as a result. Some stock prices are already down by more than 10% yeah. in one day. Um, and that's going to uh, impact the, the operations and finances of those kind of companies. Uh, the one I'm thinking there particularly is Lumentum, which is a supplier of optical components to Huawei. Um, you know, Qualcomm and Broadcom, obviously Broadcom is technically not a US company, but all of these companies are going to be impacted. Um, yeah, and, and that, there you've got the... And I think the, the, the follow-on from that then uh, is that you know if companies like Huawei or the next Huawei because there will be one if they can't get their components from the US they'll get them from somewhere else yeah eventually so this is going to likely be the catalyst for a much stronger uh, development uh, and, and market growth of components production yeah um, in probably in China but elsewhere in Asia that could ultimately put some of those yeah. US companies which have up to now have been really strong could put them under immense well, competitive threat. And can you imagine the amount of money the Chinese state is chucking at internal champions to achieve exactly Absolutely. that? Absolutely, here's a, an interest-free loan of 30 billion, get on with it. Yeah, no, I can completely see that. And uh, So with, no matter politically how you think, this is a dumbass move. It's also, it, the broader question it raises is Trade wars in the area of uh, era of globalization. So back when we had them, sort of, we could have sort of mercantilist trade wars a few hundred years ago, um, where where the lines of import and export were, were quite clearly defined. Um, yeah, you could do that, and it would be a sort of gunboat diplomacy, and sooner or later the standoff would end, and, and we'd all move on. But now so that everything it sounded like you said gumbo diplomacy, I was like, oh, yes, <laughs> I probably did. Yeah. I'm quite tired. Yeah. Um, but now that everything's just 
infinitesimally in, interconnected. That was, well, that was a challenging one. I asked a lot for myself there. Um, you know, you can't just unravel it. So you go, okay, we're going to ban this. But as you said, then you've got a knock-on effect to the supply chain here, there, and yeah. everywhere. I mean, maybe it will eventually result. Because I think sort of Trump's style, I, I, couldn't, I couldn't speak for, for President Xi, but Trump's style is sort of quite bluffy. It's like to go hard with a view to then meeting in the middle afterwards. But I don't know, maybe you know a bit more about President Xi, about what his diplomatic approach no, is. I can't say I'm following... Uh, the policy quite closely um, but yeah I mean it, it looks to me as much as um, sort of the conflict of national interests as, as, as much as the conflict of personalities so um, yeah it's, it's hard to see that the at least in short term that the two can meet in the midpoint so yeah. one other thing just draw a line under that one that I found interesting when I was writing it up yesterday is always sort of left the, the prospect of, of some kind of legal response. Mm. Well, the reason I find that interesting is because you know, the US is, is a relatively open um, sort of judicial democratic system. Um, and so it has to abide by its own rules to some extent. And I know Trump's constantly challenged by, by sort of other politicians. But you know, if, if they challenge the legality of him just sort of unilaterally making this rather vaguely defined you know, foreign adversaries executive order, that could set some interesting sort of constitutional and legal precedent in the states. But then again, they might just go, nah, shut up. Uh, yeah, but all presidents do that. His predecessors um, all have used um, the executive orders That's good point, quite excessively. Actually more yeah. than him. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. He's, he's probably the one that has used it the least in the, in the recent history. So. It's just quite high profile when he it's does. It's very, very high, and he's using Twitter, so. Yeah, yes, so, so everyone knows uh, about yeah, it straight away. reaching a large number of um, people than his predecessors, maybe. Okay, mm. we're, I'll, I'll start to wrap it up because I know we've got hard cut off in about 10 minutes. Yeah. Um, other stuff that's been going on, just really quickly, Vodafone was interesting. Their share price is down about 10% yeah. over the course of the week Something like that. Yeah. because they announced a big loss, which is, uh, I think, largely on write-downs to do with its Indian um, merger Sold with Idea. Yeah. yeah. They sold their India, uh, and uh, sorry, yeah, they sold their New Zealand business. Right? Yeah, so and that but that was because of a blocked M and A. So they were gonna, I forgot, T something right now. Mm. They were gonna uh, merge with some fixed line provider, and, and they decided that that was harmful to competition. That share price impact was probably due to the lower dividend. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So that's but, the direct. Yeah, Direct reason. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, they've got they've got a, a few little challenges going on there. Um, what else? Do you Swings know? and roundabouts, though, isn't it? I think the big thing for Vodafone is probably whether they're going to get clearance for this Liberty acquisition mm. in Europe. And yeah, so I think that's the big one that everybody's waiting for. There. Yeah. So as as a concession, I think last week. Yeah. They they opened their cable networks to um, Telefonica in Germany. That's right. So as a um, sort of um, um, a measure to satisfy the EU. Um, Competition requirements. Right. So yeah, let's see. Let's see what happened next. Yeah. Um, yes, there is. A, I, and I, I got a feeling that 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 concession was done very much in partnership with the EU. There's yeah, something about the tone of, yeah, of the he, press release. Exactly, because yeah. they were they were pretty confident already yeah. at the end of last year, and they said we would yeah, find a way no, to, yeah. to solve it. And yeah. there was canned quotes from commissioners going, "Yeah, that looks like the sort of thing That's we right. had in mind. Like they exactly. like it's come as any surprise to yeah. it." <laughs> um, 
So, yeah. Well, you were chatting to me a little bit earlier about um, you found this oh, story right. about yes. a tech. Uh, the UK doing quite well with tech startups. That's right. That's what Jamie wrote about. And it just reminded me that, uh, well, you guys coming back from uh, Côte d'Azur and uh, this uh, dreadful weather with you to, <laughs> to glorious London, which was um, very sunny before you came back. <laughs> yeah, so that was... Um, I didn't need to know. about the temperament yeah. on the weather. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah it, UK has been doing quite well in attracting both investment in the startups and uh, the growth of the right. startups themselves. So that's according to a report that, that Jamie wrote about. Um, so the UK is attracting the fourth largest investment in the in the startups so right. after the US China and India okay uh, but for us yeah but if you break it down to sectors fintech um, the UK is actually attracting the biggest yeah I find that perfectly plausible yeah. financial services is kind of a big deal for us the yeah. tradition here but at the same time France is now whole is um, having a big event a startup event called the uh, Viva Tech I think it's called Viva yeah. Technology. Um, that's already the third or the fourth iteration of the event. Um, Emmanuel Macron was there yesterday. Jack Ma was there yesterday. I think Mark Zuckerberg is there as well. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah, so it's it's becoming very big. Yeah. But um, if you look at the, the number of um, sort of fast-growing startups and the, and the investment that France has attracted, is being dwarfed by the UK, although Macron, since the day he came to power, he was trying to attract mm. the startups and, and the business from the UK following Brexit referendum. I was going to say so that any, any sort of positive economic news in the UK has to be reported with the caveat in spite of Brexit. In spite or because of. Well, <laughs> no, 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 it's always no, in spite it's of. Always in well, I mean, no, I mean Macron, Macron has been, has, has, has been almost campaigning saying look you, if you come to Paris you have a stable future you know what's no, going right. to happen yeah. but, and there's yeah. breaks yeah, yeah. so he's been using that as a as a way to try and attract yeah. but also of course the investment and support and I, th I think the, the uh, Xavier Neal who started Iliad mm. um, the, the, the French service provider that's now gone into to Italy, etc. Yeah. yeah, under the free brand, he also runs an, an, a, a big facility for tech startups in Paris, and, mm. and 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 is being a champion of that as well. So there's a lot of momentum behind it at the moment. London, I think, is good for quite a while, especially mm. in fintech, because once you get a body of people who are e are experts, it's hard. You know, yeah. that that's just self-fulfilling. It, yeah. it attracts yeah. more and more. Mm. And you know, if and when Brexit happens, if those people stay, then things shouldn't change too yeah. too much. Yeah. But of course, if they decide that it, it's not for them, then then that that would be the the, the change. Yeah. Especially if London, you know, starts to fall or not be the finan global financial capital that it is. So it's quite a, quite a few um, sort of factors involved there. Yeah. But the other parts of the UK have great sort of tech startup. Pubs no, as well, Cambridge and Bristol, yeah, for example. But, but primarily London, yeah, especially in the uh, fintech sector. Yeah, very much so. But actually, moving as we have now more to into central London, you look around and you're reminded quite how much sort of white collar action there is here. Yeah. It's not just going to suddenly shift. Right, one last thing before we go. Have you guys seen the new BT logo? No. Here it is. I'll show uh, it to the show, screen. Show as well. it to the screen. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Oh gosh. Yeah. 
It's very, uh, okay. that's very. Oh my God, are you serious? That's very yeah. retro, <laughs> no. I have to say. So yeah. I just wrote a bit. Uh, minimalist. Yeah, minimalist. So uh, for those list, for those Does listening, that mean don't turn right. Well, that's, <laughs> do you know what? Great minds think alike. That, that street sign angle was pretty much what me and Jamie were discussing when I was writing it up. Um, so but for those who are listening, it consists of the capital letters B and T in black, in black with a white. black circle around them on a white background. It what? looks like a street sign. It looks like a warning not to go to BT. Talking about logo, <laughs> I, I don't know you guys, but I, I found the new Facebook logo rather spooky. They changed the new shade of blue. Oh, I yeah, noticed the shade. I thought yeah. maybe my phone had gone mad. It's a gradient. Yeah. Right. So uh, basically, BT, I think no, it's it was, a bad call. It was a big thing for Facebook because Mark Zuckerberg actually highlighted the change of logo in his speech. And it's just gone, in the FFA, it's in just the, gone uh, one FFA bluer. It looks, it's too, yeah. you see, I've got Facebook and Twitter next to each other on my face. It's too much like Twitter's blue now. That's right. If I was Twitter, I'd, I'd be like, what are you playing at? Okay, good. Um, I think we've run out of time. So uh, thanks a lot, guys. Thanks thank for joining you. us. Yeah. And thank you for joining us. Make sure you join us for the next one. Yeah.